Hello friends, it's time to drop the needle on another episode of Super Sonic Chat. This is the music podcast full of debate, jousts, thought experiments, all done in the name of entertainment. My name is Adrian Warhope. And I'm Leon Leroux. Adrian, as the keeper of the questions and the crafter of the conundrums, what sweet jams and preserves have we scooped out of the jar for our listeners today? Years ago, decades even, sweet fruits were boiled down with the sugar and the pectin and lovingly scooped into a jar and placed on a shelf. And this week, we've had a taste of their piquant treats. Please tell the listeners what flavours they should prepare their ears for today, my good sir. Grab your toast, listeners, because we're going to smear <laughs> supersonic jam all over it and you're going to love it. Hopefully, we'll have some fun either way. Because, Leon, listeners, let's revisit our Confession Booth series. Today, we humbly step into the spotlight to publicly confess our musical transgressions. You know, we've we've committed a grievous oversight because, <laughs> listen, Leon, there are two critically acclaimed, world-renowned albums, 1993's Last Splash by The Breeders yeah. and 1975's Born to Run by The Boss, Bruce Springsteen. Confession, we've never laid our ears on the full album's of these before. That's right. But fear not, for we have embarked on a soul-searching journey over the past few weeks and immersed ourselves in these legendary albums, and today we offer this discussion as penance for our musical sins. <laughs> the question is, listeners, are these albums still shining beacons in today's musical landscape, or oh. have they become mere relics of a bygone era? Let's delve in and find out. Oh, First, nice. Can we start, Leon, can we start with Last Splash, the 1993 yeah, sure. album by The Breeders? Let me yeah, set it that's, up. That's, yeah, yeah, do, please. It's your specialty. The Breeders, an American alternative rock band. They were formed in 1989. And this is the interesting point that always sticks with me and, and I always slap myself for not having dived into this album before because, dear listeners and Leon, as we know, Kim Deal, lead singer and core of The Breeders, yep. was also a core member of the iconic band the pixies oh, yeah. well, can you believe and it? here's this, this this is the thing it did not click with me that kim deal was the original basis of the pixies and you know me i mean i don't research bands a whole lot and yep. uh it might even be said that i go out of my way not to research things and i reckon this is part, i reckon that's partly because i abhor the idea of celebrities as idols and also like yeah. i almost feel like they're delving into the lives of artists or actors or musicians or whatever it's it feels like sort of feels like gossip or something but mostly it's because I want to let the music speak to me without any taint of thinking about other facts or events, you know? So I get um, it. Yeah. I it's mean, so I, interesting. Yeah. I like to research something about the song itself. If like the, the art of it makes me curious. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I don't care, you know? So, but anyway. I'm the full opposite. I'm yeah, the no. full opposite because I was like, <laughs> I knew that 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 Kim Deal was from in the Pixies, and I loved the Pixies, and mm. I knew she had this brand band called the Breeders, and I knew yep. the one big smash hit off this album, and I don't know why I had this aversion to diving into the album. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. But see, I it, I knew that someone, I knew that the basis of the Pixies was was called Kim, and I knew that someone right. was called Kim Deal, and who's the singer of the Breeders, but. 
Uh, it Did was a forward slap moment for me that I didn't put those things together I, or even recognize the voice because it's painfully obvious now that I hear it. Painfully obvious. Yeah, beautiful. But, yeah. yeah. But well, that's my confession excellent. within this confession booth episode. Very <laughs> I good. I didn't know. Very good. Uh, I, I love diving in. Um, the, look, just to finish up my, my setup. So her, yeah. interesting, you may or may not know this, her twin sister, Kelly, is in the Breeders as well. and Yeah, plays I found that guitar. out. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Breeders have released several albums and EPs. This one came out August of 1993. So, if, yep, if you're playing at home, that is just about exactly 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Which is Holy pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it peaked at number 33 on the Billboard in the US, Billboard 200, and it was the hardest, uh, the highest charting album for the Breeders at the time. Mm, yep. Uh, it, it came in at 22 on the Aria in our hometown of Australia, and it came uh, as high as number five in the UK. Whoa. Um, couple more things. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Alternative Album in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, unprompted quick quiz question. Who do you think beat them in 1994 for Best Alternative Music Album? Any thoughts? Nirvana. Uh, good try. It was R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People. Uh, oh, yeah, that was smashing, that one. That's a great album. Makes sense. Gr- great yeah, record. Totally. Uh, last two things. In 2000, and this, and this is why we picked this album. We know it's great, but, but it's critically acclaimed and it does hold a special place because – in 2003, Pitchfork, the uh, hyper music, uh, you know, cool guys that we love to hate, but I love to love. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they listed this at number 64 on their list of top 100 albums of the 90s. Oh, really? And finally, in 2020, and this has been a little bit of our benchmark, Rolling Stone ranked this album number 293 in their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. What number? So that's 293. Jeez, that's all right, isn't it? That's pretty good for an alternative rock album yeah. for of all, the 90s. Al- albums of all time. Like, that's just from of all, all genres. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's and that's they've heavy. had the distance, so it wasn't like at the time thinking, "Oh, this is cool." They've had the distance mm. to reflect, and they've mm-hmm. got so. Exactly. Anywho, without further ado, Leon, what did you think? After well, listening to this album, this sound, spoiler alert, unlike the uh, our next confession in this episode, this sound was right down deep in my comfort zone of what I love mm-hmm. most. Mm-hmm. Because in my formative oh, yeah. years, you know, this is the sound that I grew to enjoy, and yep. and I'm glad of this grand excuse that we have to get into this album because even though I was actually like, you know, really familiar with the song Cannonball, somehow this band just passed me by and mm. unlike a lot of other bands that, that passed me by in my teens, I never picked it back up. I never went back to explore um, the breeders for some weird reason. I don't know why. Um, it's mm. got this wonderful fat fuzzy guitar and oh, like then this beautiful juxtaposition of clean, crisp vocals from Kim Deal. And yes. then plus yes. there's that sometimes there's these doubled vocals of a second singer and, and often in harmony. And it's beautiful contrast. And That's her I twin looked, sister. 
Yeah, I know. Well, I looked at some of their live stuff because I was curious about whether the vocals were doubled because it sounded mm. like the same voice. And mm. I was like, that person looks like the same person. So I, <laughs> I, I, it's a twin. And yeah, yeah. I was gobsmacked because I'm like, how do they look so alike? So I, I did a tiny smidge of research and found that out as well. It's amazing. There you go. And yep. um, Very I cool. found that um, I found it interesting to see that, that um, Kim Deal often plays an acoustic guitar, which I know yeah. is something that the Pixies do it, mm-hmm. with an, an all-electric guitar and bass and drums band. There's an acoustic guitar out front, and I, I tried to listen for that in the album, but I couldn't really hear it. So maybe the acoustic guitar is going through a pedal or something. Yeah, they use I'm some effects sure. on that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I thought so because I couldn't hear an acoustic guitar. You know, like you can hear it sometimes in the Pixies, but you, you can't hear it in um, in the Breeders. But mm. it's upbeat, it's fun, it's groovy, but it's not challenging or abrasive. And no. it's, I wouldn't call it, it's not grunge, but like it's in that same no. realm, you know, it's in that same universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, the This made me feel like if you could squeeze out your camo shorts and flannel shirt after you've emerged from the mosh pit of a Lollapalooza festival and you and you distilled that down, that essence of 90s would yes. taste like the breeders. It was pure salty 90s nostalgia. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. It was, yeah. Com- this was comfort food for me. Totally. Like comfort listening. I put it 100%. on. It was like a warm, cozy Kurt Familiar. Cobain cardigan that I could just yeah. snuggle into. But yep. but a couple of things that set them apart, I think, are you picked it up. The did you say juxtaposition? That sounds yeah, like such a wanky juxtaposition between word, like the but, sweet vocals and the, the, the that fat, and chunky guitar, fuzzy guitars and experimental yeah, noise yeah. aspect. Yeah. Look, it sits firmly in the world of alternative indie rock, but yep. there is elements of pop and there are yeah. elements of of noise yeah. in this as well. And totally. it's for experimental experimentation. Yes. Let me tell you, I think this is a quintessentially 90s album Mm, and it it stands out as a beacon of 90s because of the experimentation. You know, I think bands then often prioritised creative freedom over commercial success. Mm -hmm, That was mm -hmm. a real um, indicator of 90s bands and these guys are experimenting. They maintain this lo-fi DIY aesthetic, which which really – resonates with that whole indie scene so that's one thing that i think makes it firmly 90s i note that the 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 sheer variety between the songs gives me the sense of that experimentation where they're just trying stuff out they're just going oh let's see what happens here and and um all the songs are quite short and they just they try an idea out they get it down and they they're done they dust their hands and try something new yeah there seems to be a lot of like in I've heard that that intro bass line from Cannibal was an error by the bassist, just not sliding up to the right note initially. And of course, oh. like every great mistake, repeat it twice and it becomes part of the song, like mm. it was intentional. But then they went, yeah, let's let's roll with that. There was a bit of like, let's try some stuff. So they're using megaphones and they're using rim shots and yeah. stand taps. And yeah. it just seems like, I haven't dived into it, but it seems like lots of noise bits going on in the background that they're kind of trying some stuff. And I really like that. That resonated. Yeah, well, totally. Like, I mean, in, in Cannonball, you know, like they, they start... 
the you know the song obviously sticks out and was a hit for a reason yeah. you know they start with like that that weird ah woo sort of sound yes and it's like what yeah. is that even and then what is and happening? then like you were saying yeah. those drumstick taps and then god that bass line it's just iconic yeah So good, yeah. It, and then it's like, so good. Then there's that little th- that that throwback to that like dial-up internet sound as well that you hear oh, yeah. kind of juxtaposed over the top. It is a dial-up internet. I, yeah, yeah it is, for I sure haven't... it is. And and oh, like it, for us, it's a kind of like a universally understood sound. But yeah, because we grew up in the nineties. But like yeah. back then, it actually must have been super new and a kind of a mysterious sort of sound in '93 because that mm. was the year that the World Wide Web was first launched. It's like, yeah, oh, it right. was a new sound, you know, in '93. Oh, I think. So I mean, yeah. unless they're just, super experimental, yeah, exactly. They're just just chucking it in. They're like, this is a wonky sound. Let's pop it in there. Yeah, a couple of other things that I think make this so '90s and a re- and a really important album is the element of female empowerment. So female mm. lead singer, female yeah, bass point. player twin sister female guitar player yep. you know there's some really cool um indie guitar solos and it just seems to be they're having fun yeah. and they're strong artistic uh females and i, yeah. I think in the world of the 80s cock rock and all that i think this would have been <laughs> a refreshing change in the 90s you know and i think it was important in the 90s think, that this happened as well i think that word fun is like really um crucial to what this band really is like it's Mm. it just there's something about that's really fun and bright and uh interesting and and it's just got a bopping rock with both basically all of the all the songs but um then there's that experimentation in there that that just Mm. tells you that they're just trying stuff out and having fun while they do it yeah i i think typically of 90s bands you know the lyrics are quite um, enigmatic and, mm. you know, they're a little bit cryptic and introspective, you know, and there's yep. some rebellious themes, but uh, they don't, they don't spell it out like a country song, a love song. It's, you know, it's symbolic. It's, it's enigmatic. You don't quite know exactly what they're talking about, but it's cool. Mm. It's, it's, it is cool. cool. And that was, I think, typical of ni- the nineties um, as well. So yeah, totally. You know, totally. I like how they have a lot of catchy choruses, but they never overdo yeah. it. You know, yeah. basically every song has a, a, a interesting hooky kind of chorus, but they don't yeah. do it to death and kill its effectiveness. Like that third song, Invisible yeah. Man, there's a chorus yeah. that's kind of right at, right at the bottom of Kim's register. That's all that's left behind. And yeah. it's, but it, and it's so catchy, but they like, they only do it like twice and then it's done. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. And I think it's important to say that um, it is kind of like Pixies, but they take that they take the elements of Pixies sound here with that loud, quiet, loud, mm. and just mm. some mm. some bit craziness and all that. But it is filtered through th- this skewed pop sensibility that I think Kim Deal is so good with. Like there is a pop element here. 
Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, with with um, Cannonball again, it's the the chorus as catchy as anything, of course. Mm. But like, they muck around with how they put it together too. Like, you've got that sort of satisfying kind of loud crescendo bit. You know, you're talking about mm. the quiet, loud thing where. Mm. Um, you know, what you got go cannonballs chorus bit sort of yeah. thing, and then 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 it switches over to the in the shade in the shade, yeah. bitch, which is a bit quieter. But then yes. after that nice nice sort of nice uh, silence bit in the middle, they swap the order, yeah, and then they start with the in the yeah. in the shade bit, and then they go to the cannon cuckoo cannonball bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second, they swap it around just, just for mucking fun. around. Yeah, just for great. fun. It's yeah. great. And, can, and it just can kicks I tell you your toes. Too, uh, for sure. They don't follow the rule book, yeah. which is the song where um, it starts off the first half of the song is just guitar, like a slide guitar and the voice, and then it kicks in for the last half of the oh, song. Oh, no, Aloha. Cool, uh, yeah, like like seriously, um, I- incredible, you know. Yeah. It drives it home. It's this experimental approach to songs, um, yeah. which I think, it's like, you know, is so cool. Yeah, with that song, they just stripped it everything down to just two guitars and a voice, and it plays through the mm. song a little bit, and you're just like, okay, where's this going? And then like suddenly, a minute and a half or something. And now we die. Oh, the treats. Yeah. yeah, but then they just bust out into a lively rock version of the exact same thing. They just yeah. do this, the same thing again, but just as a different yeah. song almost, you know, and then yeah. they just repeat some of the same lyrics. They kind of just do it twice. And then it's done. And it's like, what? What yeah. was that? Because you yes. expect it to maybe go soft again, but it's not, no, that was it. We do a soft no. bit and then a, and then a loud bit and we're done. We, we're out. See you later. The best. So Keeps good. it interesting. Yeah, I loved totally. it. Can I tell you, I, I think on this album, I have mm. discovered probably just a golden gem of a song that I will revisit from time from for all time. And I'll put on playlists and I will come, come keep coming back to it. And it's not Can Cannonball. Can I guess? Yeah, guess. One yeah. Divine Hammer. One Divine Hammer. <laughs> Same here, man. It's amazing. One of the greatest songs that yeah. I've heard in many, many, many years. To me, it's all just, about as good as Cannonball. Incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's better than Cannonball. I love it. I really? think it's incredible. Yeah, I think it's infectious. It's got a yeah. pop hook. It's got a killer guitar riff. I think, um, you know, it's a total earworm. I think it's oh, a windows totally. down, driving the car, you know, shouting out in the summer. It's a perfect 90s indie rock. It's amazing of a song. It's 
That's yeah, amazing. A couple of interesting things. Spike Jones did the film clip. You should check it out. Um, it's you oh. know, it's pretty cool. And I think um, Kim Gordon from uh, Sonic Youth helped out. There was a couple you of just, clips from you, you just uh, you just wrecked my fact of the week, pal. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> we can either edit this out. Nah, and you can it's go all for right. fact of the we'll week. Leave it in, we'll leave it in there and then we'll just we'll just go fact of the week has already been spoiled. <laughs> or you can say it again and I'll act surprised. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, that's even better. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The, and um what, what else was I gonna say about Divine Hem? Oh, second interesting fact. So I alluded to the fact, oh, hopefully this isn't your other backup nah, fact no, of the week. That was, um, I didn't have a backup. The, <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary of this album, and they've just released a 30th anniversary of Last Splash. And one oh, of cool. the bonus tracks is called Divine Mascus, and Jay Mascus from Dinosaur Jr. sings Divine Hammer with uh, playing and in his voice and does like wow. a cover of the song in Dinosaur Jr. It's not as good as the original, but it's it's a great. Uh, no, but that's cool, man. It's just more Super different cool. flavor. Yeah, yeah. Loved love this song. Just think this song is is incredible. I think this song is divine. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, no idea what it's about, but a great song. <laughs> I don't know either, but it's it, like that's kind of like what you expect with grunge is is you expect some yeah some mysterious lyrics that you kind of got to unpack but that goes right back to the all those free lyrics of the 70s and 60s and stuff so it's you know it's it's mm. got deep roots it's not just that they did it once in the 90s and that was that mm. you know that, that sort true. of that kind of goes all the way back to bob dylan yeah, really absolutely i also liked um there's a bunch of interesting effects and things that they they add so like as you know as part of their experimentation like there's a song mad lucas and it's got mm. this weird kind of um effect over the vocals which kind of just goes sort of goes drip 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 like all the time like this And um, and it, it, there's just all these little auditory surprises in store as the album progresses, and you, it just yes. it's always inventive and interesting, and just sort of gives you I think gives you a bit of a clue as to their, how they wrote their songs. They just tried different things and like, hey, let's try that that pedal on vocals and see what happens. You know? Yeah. There's you know there's some um, instrumental bits. What's that really long instrumental song? Uh, oh, ROI Roy. I don't know how you. Yeah, what, yeah, what that yeah. Is. It's kind no, of like a few. Experimental noise few. piece. There's one called there Flipside, is. and uh, oh, yeah. another one, I think SOS is one as well, which is F- Flipside is some kind of wonky, zonky surf rock kind yeah, of thing. It's cool. Like it's, it's, in, it's mental. I loved it. Driving on nine has that road trip country yeah. jangle to it with totally. the sort of the has fiddles in it. You know, there's fiddles. Yeah. I, I want to yeah, say violence, but they're more fiddles than violence. Yeah, totally. Um, 
And then another song that I thought was incredible was the song Saints, track 13, Saints, which is sort of yeah, nestled towards the cool. end. Has yeah. uh, super catchy, super driving rhythm, snarling delivery, like mm. loved it. And, of course, it ends on a reprise of Roy. So it's like yeah. it's 15 tracks, but it just winds its way from super indie pop to like experimental noise, but it never diverges from um, having fun and yes, being experimental totally. and yeah you know never I, I thought this album was incredible no, never drags ne- never drags it's just a to me it's like a wonderful garage jam and to me you can easily put this on like a little house party or something like that or or yeah. even dinner a dinner party with alternatively minded people such as ourselves because it's oh, not yes. too out there or challenging but it's very no. cool very fun and somehow bright despite all that sort of 90s muff fuzz guitar sound and that, that is prevalent yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, a- absolutely. It made me think of, you know, I weigh these albums up and say, have they influenced artists that have come since? And one that sprung to mind was, I guess, Courtney Barnett in that oh, yeah. indie, you know, it, that that kind of deadpan delivery and witty lyricism and, and that cool detached style and there's sort of that grungy garage rock vibe. You know, I don't know whether Courtney Barnett would name check breed, the breeders, but I just feel like there's a through line between them. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and then like Slater it's just, King. Uh, it's just part like, of the whole like story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I imagine Kim Deal and the breeders specifically, and specifically this album paved the way for a lot of um, women that that, were wanted to be encouraged to get into yeah. rock and roll and yeah there wasn't a lot of that in 1993 no no for sure so you know overall i think that th- this album is uh has some timeless elements about it mm. but it also is um quintessentially Firmly. representative yeah. of the 90s and that's what we grew up listening to so it was it totally. was oh, it was so endearing to listen to this record Absolutely. it's it's a, you know it's a touchstone album for understanding yep. the 90s and the big musical shifts that happens in the 90s. So I love this album. I recognize it's an important album and mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'll be listening to it, um, you know, in the future for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's great, man. It was really good fun. Now let's get on to Bruce. Bruce Springsteen. The boss. Uh, Why do they I call him can... the boss? Um... Is it because his name is, is B.S. Bus? It just sort of sounds like boss because of Bruce Springsteen B.S.? I don't know. Just I couldn't have you know figure it out. Why is the boss? The boss. Listeners, hit us up, send us an email, Please give do. us a little uh lesson. Why do they call Bruce the boss? Now I, I have friends, I'll set this album up quickly, but I have friends that froth over the Bruce. Really? The, the, the boss is there. They follow him around when he comes to a tour. People get very, very excited about the boss. Let me set it up before we jump okay. in because right. I, I have some thoughts. Okay. Um you know, when you think about iconic American singer-songwriters, mm. you must think of Bruce Springsteen by yeah. reputation. Yeah. You know, he's had a profound influence on rock and roll and popular music. Uh, he's a New Jersey man, you know, working class hero. Yeah. Yep. New Jersey man. Came came to prominence in the 70s and um, has had a remarkable career. But early in the 70s, he had two albums um, which were critically well-received but didn't sell. Uh, and oh, it, this was his third album. Born to Run was his third album, released on August twenty five, nineteen seventy five. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. It was highly anticipated. Um, so there was a bit of pressure on him. This was the make or break kind of album. Mm, interesting. Um, and upon release, 
It, re- it received critical acclaim. It peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 chart and eventually received multi-platinum status, which yeah, was, nice. you know, that's a lot of albums. Um, in terms <laughs> of nominations and, and awards, uh, it received several Grammy nominations in 1976, you know, from mm-hmm, 1975 mm-hmm. album awarded in, in 76, yeah. Yeah. including he got uh, nods for best male pop vocal and best arrangement. It did not win a Grammy. Uh, really? I won't make you guess, but um, Paul Simon had a solo album, yeah, uh, not Graceland, which came, of, but yes, Paul Simon. It's the album that had 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover if you're playing along at home, whatever that album is, um, cleaned up at the Grammys yep. that year. A couple, couple last things. The Library of Congress in 2000, 2003, the US Library of Congress selected Born to Run for preservation in the National Recording Registry recognizing its cultural and historical significance. Yeah, that makes sense. And finally, yeah, our benchmark, Rolling Stone, greatest albums of all time. In 2020, it was ranked at number 26 on the greatest albums of all time. So critically acclaimed, commercially successful. The man's had a massive career. Leon, how'd you go with Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen? Well, you know me fairly well, Adrian, and you're probably... The iconoclast that you are, yeah, yes. You're probably expecting me just to like spend this entire time just spitting vitriol and getting super upset about my experience with old Brucey. But, and and on my first listen, I thought the same. And I thought, oh, mm. here, here we go. It's going to be mm. another experience for me, like the cult or the who. And and yep. I, was, I was actually, <laughs> I was fully prepared to go to town with clever insults and just make my distaste for anything conventionally entertaining. Um, okay. It, it, I just thought I was prepared to do that. Just make my taste, mm-hmm. my distaste for it known, but, mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong. I did hate every single second of this album and I couldn't get okay. through the whole thing in one go, but, okay. but um, I did listen in earnest and I did listen many times, many, many more times than I could with the cult who I could, I could only get okay. through once or twice. And, and, but what I will acknowledge is that my dislike of this album is not because of something that was lacking musically, Mm. not because of a lack of talent. It's Mm. just purely, um, personal taste, uh, personal taste. And I can really imagine exactly why many, many, many people like Brucey boy a lot. And, uh, I can see what is musically appealing. Um, mm. on, a, on an objective level and yeah and having but having said that I I do imagine that nine times nine times out of ten that the things that make people gravitate towards Master Springsteen are the same things that pull them towards other things I don't like such as sport or McDonald's or something like that okay so things that have mass appeal <laughs> you know it's not the sort of thing I that I tend well. to go for you know I don't think he's for mass consumption. I don't think he is a mass really? consumption brand like huh. a boy band or anything. I think he's earned that right and, and in fact, might be the instigator of of thinking about um, artists yeah. as superstars and things. I think he I don't, is. I'm not just saying, I'm not trying to say that he, I feel that his work is empty like a boy band. No, okay. I just think okay. it's like, I just think it's sort of. He is for the masses. Weird. Yeah, that's what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, look, this 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 album I just think I agree with you. I agree with mm. you. My um, issues that I take with this album are purely around personal taste. Yeah. Because I like this style of music, but when I hear the Breeders, that's like a warm hug yeah. from a friend. This right. is like music my uncle liked, you know, or, or a <laughs> yeah. different generation. You know, yeah. I, I, 
kind of thing. Like, like I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I didn't grow up with it no, no, or fall in music. love with it. And I, mm. yeah, it's good music. I listen to it objectively. It's good music. Couple things. Um, this felt like a like the, the, the hype was real. I felt like this was a yeah. piece of American rock history. Um, yes. It did remind me when I was listening through it, that it does remind me of the enduring power of rock and roll, rock and roll, right? To touch. That's a good call, songs. man. Yes. You know? Yes. A couple other things about the boss. His charisma is undeniable. He, he kind of comes across to me as some wild eyed warrior poet with a telecaster, you know, in, the, in his, yeah. and his suit of armor, armor is made from denim because he's working yeah. class and he's yeah, yeah, fighting yeah. for the people. And he's a, he's a, he's a poet of the streets, you know, yes. this is American rock and roll. Yeah, it's totally, a declaration 100%. of freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a journey. It's a this album is a feeling. Um, it's a lot. I thought it was fantastic and incredible, but it was a lot. It was a well, lot. Well, the, um, the music's also really heavily narrative driven, you know, and and the yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stories came through immediately, and yes. you know, there's a lot of songs that just sound like like a list of hard luck people who yep. you know have this little ray of optimism just sort of pushing them forward and to yep. me it just it just struck me as like a just a terrible cliche or you know just rewriting movie tropes but then i was like uh, a lot of those tropes probably didn't really exist in the same way in 1975 right. as they do today correct yeah um and and then it also got me like it kind of got me the way he sung it as well because he's he's got a little american singer about him <laughs> like that and it just kind of it kinda spills out of him it's this yeah but energy. i couldn't buy into it uh, okay yeah, i get the okay. energy yeah, but I, I couldn't buy into it i just got the sense yeah. that it was a, an actor doing a bad job of being sincere I think he's the original and people yeah, have yep. copied him so much that yep, when I you agree. go, oh man, he's a bad yep. Bruce Springsteen imitator. That's came, hang on. He, that's where I original. came to too. Yeah. That's where yeah. I came to as well. Yep. I'm like, you yeah, know, this is the guy who made this a thing. That's the impression yeah. I got. You know, on one hand, he's a master storyteller, right? So yep. he, he's telling stories. Sometimes it's, it's, it's lyrically dense Mm. And it took me a while to kind of buy into it, but but there's stories here that I kind of cling could cling on to um, that got their hooks into me a little bit, you know. And they're mm. vivid, and he, yes. you know, they're all about small town and breaking yeah. out and yeah. bursting down the street <laughs> and crossing yeah. the road and getting to the other side of the tracks, yeah. you know. Yeah. And we're gonna make totally. it, uh, totally. But 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 in the in the best way, you know, in the yeah. best way. You know, yeah, it's youthful it rebellion. No, it's it's no. small town dreams in the pursuit of freedom. Yeah. I, I did feel like it was raw and authentic. You know, I, yeah. I get that it felt like a throwback, but I was I did try and put myself into the position of someone who grew up in the set. You know, was was hitting me in the seventies. I was too too young for it at the time. But yeah, I imagine it would have hit home and, and been pretty cool back then. You know. Yeah, probably, um, probably. 
and, and maybe we start with the anthem for the ages, right? You, okay. you can't talk about this sure. album without mentioning the title track. Born to which Run. Yeah. Is Born to Run, which is anthemic, you know, driving beat, soaring melody, mm, mm. you know, the lyrics, the call to action. It's intense lyrically. Can I read you you some of the lyrics? Yeah, no, Um, sure, go. Like, think about this, you know, um, in the day we sweated out on the streets of a runaway American dream. At night, we ride through the mansions of glory in suicide machines. We're driving our cars from the poor side of town to the rich side of town, right? Um, We're sprung (laughs) from cages on Highway 9, chrome wheel, fuel injected, and stepping out over the line. Oh, baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap, a suicide rap. we got to get out while we're young because tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. You know, that's a lot. That's soul-stirring stuff, but it depends where you're coming at it from, yeah. you know? Yeah, look, to me, this this song was the, the the reprieve in an album that was generally quite annoying to listen to for me. But okay. Um, okay. It, it, it really has a good sound, this one. Like, despite the predictable ride it takes you through, it's really yeah. well composed. And despite yeah. the cheesy sax solo, it's actually perfect in that placement where it is. And I agree. There's a a cool breakdown about two and a half minutes where you go, "Oh, this band's got some musical chops. They're they're good." And, yeah. and they, they, and I thought that of all the songs, the delivery of the vocals, I actually believed this one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great summary. Yeah. The, the cheesy sax solo, the sax all the way through this is a thing. And oh, thanks to our three. previous therapy, thanks to our therapeutic work of getting me through my <laughs> sax phobia yeah. and becoming sax curious, yeah. I, I did appreciate some yeah. of the emphatic sax yeah. solos here. In song three, yeah. Night. I felt just yeah. like you, and I man, I struggle mm. with that saxophone. Like it is mm. the cheesiest saxophone you can imagine, and it's just that even the band that goes with it sounds twee. The punctuating piano, like sing some clean guitars and like some sort of bells yeah. or something, and then the sax comes in, and and I'm just like, oh god. Yeah, um, what well, we should talk, we should, yeah, 
I, I get it. We should talk about, you made a point there about the band having musical chops. And, and I do yeah. take my hat off to Mr. Springsteen and his ensemble, the E Street Band, because these guys have got chops. They sound like they're having fun. They sound like they're a bar band that have really broken out and made it, that they're at the top mm. of their game. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. sax, there's backup singers, there's, you know, keyboard, there's guitar, bass. Um, there's a, the, 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 the rhythm section yeah. is incredible. Totally. Uh, percussion. There's a lot going on and I loved, I did love it. You could almost say this album is almost overproduced. There's a lot. It's a lot. There's yeah. a lot going on. And it, yep. maybe some of the songs could be stripped back a little bit from their elements, but yeah. the well, band are incredible and reverb. they're incredible. There's bloody reverb on everything. And it just drove yeah. me insane. Everything has reverb, and and it was killing me. And but I was as I was struggling through this a little bit. I spoke to a mate, and he recommended another album of Bruce because he's quite a fan. Mm-hmm. And he recommended an album called Nebraska. Yeah. And so I went and listened to it, and this actually did help a lot for me to deal with Bruce because it's just basically him and a guitar for pretty much the yeah. whole album. There's other layers and stuff, but it's just him and a guitar and i felt i could access the lyrics a lot more i felt there's a lot less sort of uh grandiose kind of bravado kind of big sounds and Yes, you know, as the, even though that's just an, another aesthetic decision on my part, I just balked at some of the stylistic choices on um, on this Born to Run album, but it but this album Nebraska helped me understand where, as a composer, Bruce was coming from, Mister Springsteen was mm. coming from in the writing of all this stuff on Born to Run. It just kind of brought focus to it, and it brought kind of um, perspective. Yeah. He's talented. He yes. he has got that lyrical genius ability. There is he's you know he hasn't lasted because he's just repeated one successful album over and over. Like there, mm. he's got uh, an insight and a take on humanity that is interesting to me. Uh, you know, and I think musically there was there was a lot here. I liked it. Um, you know, he, he he is a talented artist, and full hats off to totally. him for his success. Like and, there's and something think, great here. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I think that, I mean, to me, a lot of it sounded like just exaggeration and hyperbole and cliche and stuff. But I actually sort of think as well that maybe that's also got to do with me living and growing up in Australia and not mm. knowing American culture like he knows it. He's he's in it yeah. and he's living it. And I actually, I listened to an interview with him because I was kind of like, because I, oh. I, 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 I was listening to this album going, I can see that he's good. And yeah. I thought of, and I was getting curious a little bit and I, I wanted to be wrong about hating it. Yeah. And I still, yeah. I did continue to be annoyed at his music, but I, I did, once I start, started hearing that he actually had a pretty difficult upbringing, he had like, he oh, just right. had struggles with his dad. His, when, he was, when he was 20, his parents were like, bye, we're moving across country and you're staying here. Uh, and he was just like, oh, oh wow. okay, I'm, de- I'm, I'm by myself now, you know? And yeah. And I sort of thought, no, he he really did live that working class, um, 
American life, he was in it and he, he's mm. just trying to write from what he experienced. Yeah. Um, even though I don't like his music, it, I, I, and even though I don't, didn't buy into it a hundred percent, I really, I, on an intellectual level, I think he is genuine in his, um, motivations behind the music. Yeah. No, I, I, that's great. I, that's imp- I'm impressed by the way you allowed this to take you on a little journey from yeah. your normal reactive, you well, know, a reactive way, not your normal reactive way, but yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was musically good. You know, when I was listening yeah. to like the, the, um, the cult, for example, I, cu- I just couldn't get over yeah. some of the things that I didn't like, that I musically didn't feel worked <laughs> at all. Um, whereas this one, even though I didn't yeah. like the music, you can't yes. den- you can't deny that it is good composition. Yeah, it's talent. Yeah. he was inventive and a little bit innovative for his time, and it yeah. doesn't sound it now, but I think he was. Like the the first two songs, Thunder Road and Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, are yeah. you know it's it's rock rock and roll like rock yes. and roll and yes. um and that's great. That's not my normal style of music, but I but I appreciate it. It was cool. Yes, um, th- there are elements of folk and there are elements of like soul, like I don't know if you call it blue-eyed soul, but soul music and also um, R and B, like rhythm and blues, like it's all that mm. kind of mm. stuff, American stuff that's yeah, kind yeah, of very, permeating very American, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did like, so I liked the first two tracks. I liked the title track. Um, some some of them, you know, probably overstayed their welcome a little bit in terms of the length, but I did enjoy second to last track meeting across the river, which was a real departure moment. It was a bit of a palate cleanser. So it's not high energy. It's moody jazz infused album. You know, it's got trumpet and it's got piano, like jazzy piano keys all the way through. You won't say anything. Cause this guy, yeah i i wrote about that track that it shows his breadth as a composer Mm, yeah i I thought and that's a brave choice when you got pressure to make you know make or break album i think he stayed true to his artistic vision and you know and even the last track which i didn't love went for nearly nine minutes it was just a bit too (laughs) epic you know yeah yeah. epic but this For is me, the thing, though, right? Um, is is the whole time that, and this is why I, I I pushed myself to see a different side, is is that the whole mm. time I was listening to it, I didn't get the impression that there was some producer calling the shots, or there was some other people yeah, telling him what I to agree. do. I thought that old mate Bruce was the guy who was doing the whole lot, and he's like band. Yep. Come along for the ride. I've written these songs. I'm going to do them exactly how I want to do them, and no one else is yeah. going to tell me any, how to do it any different. And I just figured yeah. that he's control. He's controlling it. He's calling the shots, and he's not compromising anything of what he envisions. He's like a nine minute song. So what? I'll do it. You know. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. There were some other things I, I really liked too. Like you know, I did enjoy this album. I really enjoyed this album. I recognize it's a, it's a wonderful album. Um, it's got a lot to offer and it is an important album. Personal taste means I'll probably dip in every now and again, but not regularly. I would yeah. much rather listen to the breeders because 
you know, your first exposure to music is your first love and, and grungy guitars or what do it yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. And there ain't grungy guitars here, but things like Backstreets, which is track four was this yeah. emotional track. There was, you know, it's a heart wrenching ballad about lost love and regret, but there was some really tasty, passionate yeah. guitar towards totally. the end, you know, like yeah. it's really poetic. I just thought, you know, he's lyrically poetic and I thought some of the musical parts were kind of poetic um yeah. as well but yeah i agree i mean look for me if i engage if i engaged this with my gut and i didn't give it some time i'd be saying it's a predictable boring scripted set of pretend stories that are delivered in a way that i don't buy into set to music that is ordinary and predictable but yeah. if i engage with my head which i ended up doing it's a piece of rock and roll history that i'm glad mm. to be somewhat familiar with and mm. it, I think it's a product of a brilliant composer who's making music where he's deliberately trying to communicate ideas about a world he lives in and understands deeply. Yeah. I'm not going to add to that. That's a lovely summary. Thanks, mate. Uh, yep. I agree. Yeah. Yep, I agree. No, and I'm a, glad that we listened to both of it. these albums. I didn't enjoy it, but I appreciated it. Yeah. There you go. Do you want to hear a fact, the of, the fact of the week? Well, yeah. hey. Not that you would ever have heard this before, but the Breeders video oh. clip for Cannonball. Yes. Yeah, yes. get this ready. Two people yep. from very different media who are also both incredibly awesome, both Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth no. and director Spike Jones. Our favourite video director of all time, Spike Jones, <laughs> both directed the, the video and clip Kim for, Gordon for from Cannonball. Sonic Youth. How about that? <laughs> Dipping her hand in Fact as a director. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Leon, for that fact of the week that was brand new to my ears and brain. Um, there you go. I do love our Confession Booth series. Um, listeners, what Me did too. you think of Last Splash by the Breeders or Born to Run by Bruce the Boss Springsteen? Hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or is it X, whatever it is now. Um, and you can email us at supersonicchat at gmail.com. And this is a show written, produced, and recorded and edited by just the two of us, just for the sheer joy and passion of talking about music every couple of weeks. And if you want to support this show, just spread the word, please. Give us a rating on your chosen podcast provider or just tell a friend. And thank you. We've seen some of the five-star reviews and some of the comments coming through lately. Yes. So uh, we appreciate that. We appreciate you listeners. That was another episode of Super Sonic Chat.